The Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. I got love, I got love for my homies who be rolling with me. Play no games, play no games, cause ain't nobody playing with me. Then you've got to remember the three rules of podcasting. First rule, all deals are final. That reminds me, I want to thank you, Scott, so much for changing your plan so that we could record this podcast on this day. It's really helpful. Well, I guess I did break that rule, but uh, the other rules are very important. Rule number two, no names. I'm Vin, and as always, you are Scott, and we are the hosts of this podcast. No, I just said don't... Right. Uh, but rule number three is very, very important. You never open the package. And I would like to open up, as always, by saying that we are the Trilogy Podcast, the only podcast in the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. No reboots, no straight to cable. We're bringing you facts, debate, trivia, and more. To hell with the movie. If they made four, isn't that right, Scott? I feel like you intentionally ignored all more rules on purpose. Okay, Scott, can you please? Uh, <coughs> Sorry about really, that. Really, honestly. I had a little something en- caught in my throat. Enough already. All right. We're here, and I think it's important that you should tell the world exactly what trilogy we're doing today. We are doing the Transporter Trilogy. That was a pretty good impression, Scott. I really like how you... Thank you. Yeah, you really gave us the Frank Martin character and all his glory. Yeah. All right, so folks... We are back with you, of course, and we are uh, celebrating Thanksgiving. Yes. And so we picked a trilogy, I think, that went along with the uh, the spirit of Thanksgiving, right? On yeah. Thanksgiving, people are always uh, uh, using different modes of transportation to go to see different family members. Right. And this particular trilogy, it really is devoted to different modes of transportation. It's right? all about getting from point A to point B. Exactly. The transporter has trains, planes, various cars. Automobiles. Exactly. You're, you're on bikes. People are running. So we thought it fit as much as any episode could fit with the current holiday. So yeah, let's not waste any more time and jump right into our uh, our trilogy bot who's going to tell us exactly what kind of trilogy this is. Trilogy bot, we can't wait for your offensive and disgusting description. Mm. The Transporter is an army of one trilogy, a lone character against the world whose adventures we follow from film to film. Now, bugger off, knobheads. Damn bloody plonkers. What does that mean exactly? You know, it's funny because Trilogy Bot himself has an English accent, so it's perfect when he insults us with respect to this trilogy because the whole, you know, trilogy takes place in Europe pretty much. Right. You know, or with a European character, so. It's a little too upper class, though, I think. You're right. I mean, because Jason Statham is very. He's northern. Yeah, he's very gruff. Yeah. So. Uh, but he's right. Okay, Trilogy Bot is right. This is definitely an Army of One trilogy. One guy's adventures as he, he takes on the world. This is actually the third trilogy that we've ever done that is a pure action trilogy. Okay, right. Mission in Action is one of the others, as is Taken. Ah. Okay, so this is our third pure action trilogy. Our other Army of One trilogies, such as RoboCop, all the superhero trilogies... Uh, 
the Robert Langdon trilogy, even Shaft, Mad Max, there's some kind of pretension there where they're trying to say something else or some depth to the trilogy. Where right. They're trying to do more. This is one of the few trilogies where it's just an action trilogy. So, yeah. you know, I mean, he joins the company of uh, Liam Neeson and Chuck Norris as being unapologetic in the fact that this is just about violence action excitement. I was reminded uh, very much of the Jackie Chan movies a little bit oh, watching these. Without question. Like the the extensive fight choreography, the the sort of sense of humor that comes along with some of the fighting. Well, yeah, the Hong Kong, the Hong Kong fighting style. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, I that's funny. I wrote that down and I figured like the only difference is that when Jackie Chan is doing a fight in this Hong Kong style, he always seems to be sort of surprised by what's happening around him like he, right. it, it's taking him by surprise. Oh my god, I'm using this weapon. Yeah. I'm doing this. And he's kind of laughing at himself. Yeah. Jason Statham is like, I meant to do this the entire time. Yeah. So there's a- there's, I'm very resourceful. Yeah, he's taking he's taking it seriously. Yeah. Jackie's like, I, okay, I'm just using what's kind of around yeah. and hey, hey, holy shit, it yeah. worked. Yeah. So um, why don't you just jump right into the plots? Oh, the plots. Scott, yeah. Simplicity is key. And yeah. uh, on that note, I would like to say- I once met a man named Scott. I really- Loved him a lot Cause he told me about all the plots And then I gave him everything that I got Wasca's plots I'm not sure that that, <laughs> that goes along with the tone of these films, but... I was going for, you know, like, uh, you know, those uh, European songs that end the movies. It's but... very aggressive. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, these are Scott's plots, and of course, if you've never listened before, I'll give you a quick recap. What I do here is I, I recap the movies with uh, no character names, basic details, that sort of thing. Uh, just so in case you have seen the movies, but it's been a while, we'll catch you up. And if you've never seen the movies and you don't care and you just want to hear us talk about them, you'll be all caught up as well. So we, of course, start with the first movie of the trilogy, as we often do. And that first movie is called The Transporter. 2002. In France, a British former special ops soldier is now taking jobs as a driver for illegal purposes. After a job as a getaway driver for some bank robbers, a French cop visits the driver suspecting his involvement, but with no evidence. You know, I like that they give the rules of the transporter, and the rules are basically never change the deal, no names, never look in the package. Yeah. Yet... He breaks the rules constantly in every single movie. Every one of these movies is about the two or three times <laughs> that the transporter has fucked up. Yeah. So really, our basis of understanding is only the transporter doing the wrong thing. You're right. And breaking his own rules. I mean, you're exa exactly right. Because I'm sure right. there's 900 other times he's done a job where everything went smoothly and sure. as planned, and they're just not as interesting. Listen, in the first movie... He stumbles across an issue because he decides to check in the package. In the right. second one, he chooses to go after the bad guys because he becomes... He has an attachment. He has an attachment to the child. And the, and the third one, he's forced to go along with it through circumstances. Right. He's got the, the bracelet on. So there's always sort of an entanglement with the plot, which puts him in the position where he has to break his rules. Right. But it's also like a great example of this is why we don't break the rules. Yeah, I mean, if we stick to the rules, he drives the suitcase from point A to point B, and there's no movie. You're yeah, like, it'd be over, yeah. Yeah, my car worked great. It was no yeah. problem. Time to get it washed. Take care of the car, the car that'll take care of you. Nah, but will uh, it? 
Later, the driver is hired to transport an undisclosed package in his trunk, but while changing a flat tire discovers the package is a young woman tied up and gagged. The driver, against his better judgment, decides to give the young woman a drink and allow her to use the bathroom, at which time the young woman unsuccessfully tries to escape, attracting the attention of two police officers. The driver knocks out the cops and sticks them in the trunk with the young woman. These movies are a commercial for cars. Don't kid yourself. Sure. All right? In the first one, it's BMW. The second two, it's, it's Audi. Much like a, a James Bond film, if yeah. you will. And but, not to mention the extensive product placement for Orangina in the first movie. They love it in yeah. Europe. We hate it in America. We're like, you drink this, and you're like, this tastes like shit. What is this? I feel like it was like around in a big way for maybe a year yeah. in America. And we were like, no, nobody likes this. It's for people that are like, you know what? Orange juice isn't good enough. I need tangerine juice. What? As an American, I'll take a Sunny Delight over that and, any day. And you shouldn't, because Sunny Delight is also terrible. It's also, it's just sugar. Just stick with orange juice. We don't like fruit in America. I mean, but they have whole vending machines in Europe where they're like, orangina, orangina. Hey, fuck yourself. I don't want any orangina. How does that bottle not shatter in a, in a vending machine? The driver successfully drops off the package to an American who offers the driver another job transporting a briefcase. The driver takes the job, but when he returns to the car after visiting a rest stop, the car explodes killing the two cops in the trunk. It's not clear. Yeah, I didn't know that until I believe the French cop later tells him. Right. He stops to get more Orangina for the cops. Oh, okay. And that's why he stops and goes back and gets more and then ends up saving his own life and not oh, getting in the car. Better grab another Orangina before I hit the road. So like, I didn't even think, okay, so you he, know. So he drops off the girl but keeps the cops in the car, and that's when it explodes. Right. Now, I, I'm not sure why he didn't just leave them in the street, but okay, throw them in the back of the car. Right. I, I guess. You think you would have taken care of that before you stopped at the rest stop for an Orangina. No question about it. The driver then walks back to the house where he delivered the young woman and proceeds to beat the hell out of everyone there. Mm. The driver escapes in a stolen car only to find the young woman in the back seat, and he brings her home. The next day, the French cop visits the driver to ask about his exploded car, which the driver claims was stolen. After the French cop leaves, the driver's house is hit with a barrage of missiles, and the driver and the young woman escape through an underwater passageway to a safe house where they bang. <laughs> You've got basically a classic action hero. He's not going to say very much. Right. Okay. A cop who knows but doesn't really know. Yeah, he's more after the truth, this right. cop, you know? And then, of course, you've got the female lead who's more annoying than anything else. She's just a hindrance, yeah. okay? Her whole main function is to be an impediment and constantly rescued by the hero right. during the movie with a sex scene that's completely out of place. Right, and completely yeah. inappropriate. And really makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you, why would you have sex during this period of time? Yeah. In addition to that, you have the crime boss that is more than happy to kill any of his allies or confederates just so they won't like live to tell the tale. Right. Which is so action moving. Where the other guys are like, maybe I should uh, quit. I don't know. I'll go back to my waitering job. <laughs> <laughs> so these are just huge action movie tropes. And I mean, they're displayed in force in this movie. The driver tries to tell the young woman to let the attackers believe they are dead and start over. But when the young woman informs the driver that the American is trafficking 400 Chinese people in a shipping container, including her family members, the driver promises to help the young woman. And this is where the plot just becomes utterly befuddling. You have no idea what a shipping container, human trafficking, what, where did this come from? Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of 
half-assedly, ham-handedly added on at the end of the movie, and it's it's ridiculous. Right. And this actress is really ridiculous. She can't really speak English. She can't deliver a line. And so her whole selling of this concept where she cares about human trafficking just reads as bullshit. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Yeah. You're against your father. At this point, we have no idea, again, why she's even been kidnapped. Right. Why did, did he need to transport her from point A to point did B? Did the father if... just want her out of the way so that you wouldn't interfere with his human trafficking deal? It's unclear. Yeah. No one knows what your motivation is, and no one knows what your father's relationship to you is. We don't know why you're doing this. Like, they tack a plot on at the end. Listen, we know from action movies that a kidnapped daughter is a common contrivance that goes along with action movies just go along with it why even bother to tack this on at the end rush hour right yeah rush hour. rush hour commando taken over the top <laughs> i don't think over the top applies All right, well. although stallone does crash his truck into his house and he's like i'm his father i belong then he arm wrestles i need to him. teach him how to arm wrestle i'm just saying over the top is not a great example of this. okay but it is a great example of this whole 80s idea where kids are at the root of the conflict and whatever means necessary to save my child well i mean because i think with a lot of those examples you know they're kind of like a hard-nosed action hero yeah. they're like they don't care about anybody and they're just about getting the job done but they do care about like women and children right the driver and the young woman go to confront the american and discover the young woman's father is also involved in human trafficking yeah and the driver is knocked out the french cop arrives and the american and the young woman's father tell him that the driver kidnapped the young woman and the driver is arrested but when the French cop realizes that the driver is innocent, he helps him escape by pretending to be the driver's hostage. It's like, well, why not just tell everyone what's really going on? Right, yeah. I mean, you're the inspector. Say to everyone, he's not at fault. There's a human trafficking operation going on. Yes. Why do all this? Because it's also it also seems like he's like, well... It seems like a lot of work on my end. <laughs> you could just do it so much faster. I would rather be making an omelet at this point. So yeah. just put the gun to my head. We walk out together. You are far more effective than us. <laughs> so just get it done, okay? The driver tracks the traffickers to a dock, but is unable to stop the trucks full of Chinese people. The driver then steals a car that eventually breaks down and then commandeers a biplane and parachutes on top of the traffickers' convoy of trucks. The driver kills the American and stops the trucks, but is caught by the young woman's father, who walks him to a cliff's edge intending to shoot him when the young woman arrives and shoots her father dead. This guy is able to dispatch just hundreds of henchmen left and right, but suddenly is confronted with this old man who can barely hold the gun, and, and now he needs the woman to, to step in and, and save the day. He can't possibly solve the problem. This is very action hero. You hear the gunshot, the hero looks at his chest, oh, well, I've been shot, I don't feel it. And then the bad guy drops, and behind the bad guy is the person that really shot him. And in this case, it's the guy's daughter. Right. Fucking come on. Yeah. She can't hold the gun. There's no reason to think she would be able to kill her father. I mean, you would think they would have done like the, you know, the bait and switch where like you think she's going to shoot him and then he ends up getting the drop on him. So she didn't have to, no, you know, like I feel like that's pretty typical in action movies, too. Uh, you're right. And then she bursts into tears. And like the first thing she says, he's like, you know, he was, you know, evil, but he was also my father. Yeah, like, there's all yeah we understand the conflict. Yeah. The French cop arrives and the Chinese people are saved. Thank God. Yeah. I mean, because I was worried about the Chinese people that I hadn't cared about or even 
were aware existed up until the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then they open up the container and it's like they're they're walking out and they're like, oh, light. Oh, we're, <laughs> we've been inside this shipping container the entire time. Well, we, we didn't know about it. I honestly was expecting like half of them to have eaten the other half. Yeah. Basically. Because I yeah. mean, they, how long have they been in that fucking container? We haven't seen them get fed. or You're, you're eating your foot. Sunlight or whatever. Of all of the plots of all three of these films, this is by far the worst of the plots. Yeah. Because it could have just been a straight-ahead actioner, and instead they tack on this sort of morally heavy idea with refugees at the end, expecting us to care about it, and we and we just don't. The plot's just a vehicle for the action. You know? So, Scott, rock into Transporter 2. Let's transport ourselves to the second movie, which is called Transporter 2. 2005. In Miami, the driver has taken a temporary job as a chauffeur for a wealthy couple whose relationship is on the rocks and their young son, who the driver has taken a shine to. Classic. The wealthy wife, who clearly wants the driver's D, asks the driver to drive their son to a doctor's appointment over the weekend before he is meant to pick up the vacationing French cop at the airport. (laughs) She tries to seduce him and he rejects her. And she says, thanks for respecting me. It's what I needed most. What? You needed to be rejected most by the man you tried to seduce? Right. That doesn't ring true at all. Yeah. I wasn't respecting you. I just, I'm not interested. Why'd you come here? (laughs) Yeah. In all of these movies, Jason Statham is like, I've got other things to do. I don't have time to fuck you. In all three movies, he's like, enough already. Our lives are on the line. Ladies, ladies, please. Stop trying to fuck me. We, yeah. There are other things to worry about. He's trying to deny one of the hardcore characteristics of all classic action movies. Right. And he can't deny it. He's like, I got to stay focused. Yeah. Stop. In the midst of the most dangerous points of these people's lives, a fucking has to occur. Yeah. It just has to. Yeah. When the driver and the son arrive at the doctor's office, a group of mercenaries led by a scantily clad psychotic woman try to kidnap the son, and the driver fights his way out and escapes with the son. Great scene. Great scene. Good scene. A bit confusing because they kill the doctor, I guess, and stave them. Really, it takes him a long time. He's a little slow on the uptake. He looks down at the door and blood is pouring out. There's jam coming out from under that door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So, <laughs> you know, then he's got to make, a, you know, he's got to create a missile. When the driver and the son arrive at the wealthy family's house, the driver receives a phone call from the Italian bad guy who tells him they have a sniper aiming at the son forcing the driver to let the scantily clad psychotic woman into the car, and he drives her and the son to the Italian bad guy's warehouse. Mm -hmm. The driver is told to leave, but realizes the Italian bad guy's crew has attached a bomb to his car, and he drives away and detaches the bomb from his car in an insane way seconds before detonation. I mean, it is preposterous. It's the most ridiculous part of the movie. I mean, this and is, it's one of my favorite parts of the listen, movie. Let's pretend he knows exactly where the bomb is at the bottom of the car. Right. Somehow he forces the car into a barrel roll. Yeah. And in doing so, dislodges the bomb and then completes the barrel roll complete, and, lands and lands perfectly. And lands perfectly. The bomb is gone. Yeah. And but that's what I don't understand is like he hits it right into that like crane hook and knocks and dislodges the bomb. But, like, very easily, that could have, like, hooked into his undercarriage and, like, ripped everything out of his car. There's and then, always a ramp. How are you going to drive the rest of the movie? Scott, there's always a ramp where he needs it to be during all right. these movies. Whether it's to flip the car, to spin the car, to turn the car over. It's there, and right. he knows how to use it immediately. Right. 
It's like, did you do this in the war? I don't understand. How often I mean, were you driving if in you special ops? If you know there's ops? a bomb under the car, how about just drive a little bit away, get out and run away? Why are you even risking this? Right. Or, so. you know, leap out of the car and let it go into, like, the ocean or something. And, and meanwhile, we have no idea why they've even bothered to let him go so that the bomb can explode. The bad guys are like, all right, you go ahead, go ahead. You can leave now. Right. All right, well, what were you going to do? You were going to just blow him up right there, alerting everyone to where you're located. Why do that? It seems like a busy dock over there, too. It's, it's you seriously, know? shoot him in the head, and then and yeah. don't let anyone know. The kidnappers return the son after receiving the ransom. But unbeknownst to the wealthy family, the son has been injected with a contagious, deadly virus in hopes of infecting his politician father and other politicians at a conference. This is completely confusing to me. Because they say that the virus has some sort of 24-hour shelf life where it dissipates into the air and just goes away. So the father is infected with it. The mother is infected with it. They spread it along at the conference. The black guy that he's with gets it in like one second, and he's on his knees, and he's like, I'm sick all of a sudden. Yeah, you you yeah. were just with the guy for fucking one minute. Right. So how are you sick all of a sudden? Right. Later on, the villain's like, I need an antidote. Well, what do you need an antidote for? It'll go inert in 24 hours. So what are you, what is this about? What is this plan about? Right. I didn't I didn't quite understand that. I, I didn't, couldn't understand if they were saying that, like, Within 24 hours, it, like, kills the host. Maybe that's why they're getting sick so quickly. But it did sound like they were saying, like, no, it, like, disappears after 24 hours. Yes, yeah, like, I'm saying. Okay, so what is this, fucking War of the Worlds? Like, at the end, the aliens all get a cold and then die? Like, what? That's why his whole idea of, like, in injecting the antidote into himself isn't justified by anything logical. Right. And these people are getting... And any doctor would have probably told him, like, this will probably kill you. You can't right. take this much of anything into yeah. your bloodstream. You need room for blood. Matthew Modine gets it. It takes him 24 hours to take effect. He gets to the conference, and people are dropping like flies over there. Yeah. What are we talking about here? Yeah. Why do all these movies depend upon kidnapping someone, which is to force them to do something else? Right, right. Stop kidnapping people. Just... Just do the thing. The driver, now suspected to be part of the kidnapping, tracks down a scientist working for the Italian bad guy and pretends to inject him with the virus and then follows him back to a lab where they are keeping the antidote. They really make very little effort in any of these movies to cover their tracks. Right. He's able to immediately get on the case and he's there in one second. I mean, th th this Italian guy is definitely not doing like a psych evaluation on any of his crew members. <laughs> right. So like shit can go wrong all over the place. Yeah. It's very sloppy. Yep. Another scientist throws the antidote out the window and the driver is able to only save one vial. The driver then sneaks into the wealthy family's house and tells the wealthy wife what's happening and gives the son the antidote as his father heads to the conference, infecting everyone. I've got the antidote. All I care about is the son. Fuck everybody else. <laughs> right. Well. Like, okay, but you're telling this to the mother who yeah. is almost certainly going to die. And that's Matthew Modine, for God's sake. Respect Matthew Modine. Oh, by the way, Matthew Modine, trilogy superstar. He's in The Dark Knight Rises. Meanwhile, I mean, all these people are getting sick immediately, interacting with him. But fucking Statham interacts with the kid and the mother and at no point coughs no or never has any yep. illness. Modine's delivering a speech while he's coughing and sputtering. The driver arrives at the Italian bad guy's house, where the Italian bad guy reveals he is working for a drug cartel and has injected himself with the rest of the antidote. Unable to kill the Italian bad guy without losing the antidote, the driver fights the scantily clad psychotic woman, killing her while the Italian bad guy escapes. The driver then drives after the Italian bad guy and boards his private jet just as it's about to take off. 
The driver and the Italian bad guy fight, and the pilot is killed during the scuffle, sending the plane crashing into the ocean, where the driver paralyzes the Italian bad guy and escapes from the sinking plane. Obviously. Obviously. We're completely away from reality, where a plane going at top speed when crashing into the ocean doesn't break apart. Right. Doesn't explode. You guys ever seen an Air Force One where I that mean, thing is God like sake, ass over a fucking tea kettle? How going? often do you hear that when a plane from, you know, that's crashing from that distance, when it hits the water, it's like hitting cement. Yeah. Everyone will die. I fell on this soft water. They have a great fight in the plane up until that point, but once they hit the water, it's kind of anticlimactic because he sort of paralyzes him with like, what, a neck snap? Yeah. So that it can keep the antidote alive. Yeah. Which which was sort of unclear too, right? Like it he kind of like chops him in the neck, and you see the guy go, "Oh!" <laughs> Not that he should have been like, oh, "I've just paralyzed you," like yeah. or anything. But I mean, I guess it's also weird because it's an underwater fight, and yeah. he paralyzes him underwater, so he just floats and stays in the exact position he was in. Whereas if you were on land and he paralyzed him, he would have collapsed, right. and you would have been like, oh, "Okay, he's paralyzed." You're right; it's unclear. The antidote is recovered, and the family is happy without the driver who drops off the French cop at the airport and takes another job. I feel like the ending of this movie is by far the coolest of the three endings, where he looks in on the hospital and he's like, you know what, I shouldn't be involved in this. This is a family thing. And then he comes outside and he's like, I'm ready to take another job. Yeah. Pretty badass. Yeah. Really thought that was the best ending of the three. More true to the character. Like, after watching two of his movies, you know, you're like, well, the third movie is going to have nothing to do with the previous two movies. Of course. It can't possibly, because that's just not his style. He goes on to a different job. He's a different fucking day, you know? We just get a sense at the end of each movie that he's moving on to the next film. I'm a businessman. I've got to go on to more business. I don't belong here. I'm a loner. Yeah, it's cool. I thought it was a really great ending. I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. Are you quoting... Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Yes. I respect that. All right, Scott, take it home. All right, so we're going to wrap this baby up with Transporter 3. 2008. Back in France, the driver and the French cop are fishing when the French cop gets a call about another driver speeding past Border Patrol into France. Later, the other driver crashes into the driver's house and the driver calls an ambulance who picks up the other driver. The expression on his face when the guy crashes into his house is like, another big fucking problem. (laughs) Just another day for me. You know what? I keep having house after house and they keep getting destroyed. What the fuck is going on here? (laughs) Leave my house and my car alone. Enough. Just stop outside. I'll come out and meet you. (laughs) After the ambulance leaves, the driver discovers a young Russian woman in the back seat who informs him that she and the other driver are wearing bracelets that will explode if they get too far from the car. So with this, you have a combination of a bunch of different movies, okay? You have a little running man action where if you get too far away, your neck collar explodes and you blow up. I thought of that. Yep, and you also have a little Die Hard with a Vengeance where two liquids combine and create an explosion as well. Right, right, right. So they're using a bunch of action tropes together to create this premise. Funny enough, it did remind me of another Jason Statham movie, Crank. Tell me about that. Now, Crank, basically, I believe the setup is that he is given some sort of poison okay. that is going to slow his heart rate down and kill him. Well, that's right, and if it goes up above a certain level or something... He... Well, he has to keep his heart rate up, basically, the whole movie. So oh, he has okay. to do, like, all this badass shit that will keep his heart pumping. Right. I think it's cool. Yeah. I think this is a cool element to this third movie where... You know, the stakes are raised because he has to be near his car and the idea that he's 
the transporter takes on a certain degree of extra weight. The driver tries to stop the ambulance, which promptly explodes, and the driver is captured and brought to an evil CEO who places an exploding bracelet on the driver and forces him to deliver a package and the young Russian woman to Budapest. The driver takes a detour to see his mechanic friend in hopes that he can remove the bracelet, but the evil CEO's henchmen arrive and the mechanic is unsuccessful in deactivating the explosive device. The evil CEO decides to fire the driver and one of his men briefly steals back the car and the young Russian woman before the driver is able to quickly recover them. The evil CEO agrees to allow the driver to finish the job, but the driver realizes the package is empty and that the young Russian woman is the package and he bangs her. I mean, that's the premise of all three movies, that the package is always a person. And you're not supposed to open the package. You're not supposed to. And, and put s- your dick into it. You're not supposed to bang it. <laughs> right. Suddenly she takes a pill and she's like, I am ready to have sex with you. And it's like, you were an asshole for this entire movie. Yeah. All of a sudden you got a personality. You're going to make for some good hate fucking. It's absolutely a hate fuck because he doesn't want to go along with the fuck. No. And she's like, do a striptease for me. And he's like, what are you fucking crazy? Wow. Yeah. He's like, all right, I'll take off my shirt exposing my perfectly ripped body yeah. to the world. <laughs> she then becomes his love interest for the entire rest of the film. Of course. He, he puts his penis inside anyone and they become his love interest. What happened Irregardless to the, of feelings? Or... What happened to the Asian girl from the first movie? Right. She killed her father for you. Yeah. Where is she now? She's gone. The same way with James Bond. He's got like, you know, like, oh, I'm with this girl. And it's like, they're going to be together forever. And the next movie, he's like, who? I don't know who you're talking about. It's funny you should say James Bond because I wrote down in one of my notes for one of these that this is kind of an anti-Bond character, meaning he's he's the gruff version of Bond. Bond Sort of a dirty Bond. Right. you You know, Bond is all about English sophistication and coolness and smoothness. Whereas this is like low-class British hooliganism. Yeah. Get what you want through ass-kickery. Right. But at the same time, he is very, like, anal about things, too. Yeah. You know, like, so it's very prim and proper. Things You're need to right. be in their proper place. But he's not sitting around sipping martinis He's not shit. sitting... And, you know, and when he expresses himself to anyone, it's always, like, in the most, you know, sparse terms. He's like, yeah, okay, yeah. let's do it. Come yeah. on. He's a man know. of action, Yeah. You know? He's exactly right, Scott. He's a man of action as opposed to a man of extravagances. Right. Post-coitus, the young Russian woman reveals she was kidnapped to force her father, who is the Ukrainian Environmental Agency's minister, to sign an agreement allowing the evil CEO to bring toxic chemicals into the country. And it's the first time we even understand what's happening in the movie at this point. Why do they do that? I feel like every single movie, they hold back some information. In the second movie, we don't find out what the reason that anybody's doing this is for until like the very end of the movie too when you're he's right. like I work for the cartel and they're getting rid of the people who are against drugs and you're like why couldn't you have just told us that right at the beginning uh-huh. like you don't tell them tell us though yeah later the driver is surrounded by the evil CEO's men who take back the young Russian woman remove her bracelet and shoot up the driver's car the driver drives off a bridge to escape and saves himself by using the air from the car's tires to float the car to the surface the stakes where he has to stay close to the car are badass in this movie. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah. they add so much to this film that he has to be near the car. He's the transporter. He loves his car anyway. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense. And that's for that scene, especially that he's got to figure out a way to get the car above service too, is, Not just is a great complication. Right. Can't just save himself. Has to save himself with the car. I was the awesome. one few times watching this movie that I was like, what is he going to do? Yeah. You know, like, it was cool. how, how the fuck? Because like, if you swim away from that, you're going to blow up. That's what I love. He calls him, but he's like, we'll be there in 10 minutes. Minutes. 
and it, like it seems like he's just like, okay, so you're saying I have to figure this shit out for myself? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Again, I will. One of these insane underwater air pockets where there's time with which to make phone calls. Right. You're yeah. underwater. How does the phone work? <laughs> it's true. I can't make my phone work fucking, uh, you yeah. know, in the elevator. Right. How are you able to do this underwater? <laughs> Go into a subway station, forget about yeah. it. <laughs> the evil CEO boards a train and calls the environmental agency minister and tells him he has 15 minutes to sign. Meanwhile, the French cop rescues the driver in his car, and the driver chases the train, jumping the car on top of the train. Much as I love the concept that he uses the air in the tires to float the car up to the surface. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's really cool, okay? But how is that car able to drive after that? I mean, okay, maybe we could assume that somehow, because Audis are great, the car is able to be, you know, reactivated and yeah. can still drive. But who? What about the air in the tires? Don't you have to fill You're all right. the, yeah. the tires yeah. with air again? Yeah. You've taken all the air out of the tires. I mean, 10 minutes later, he's like, all right, the car works again. Let me follow the train. Yeah. What? Yeah, you just missed the scene where the pit crew came up and just... I, like, I mean, really? The driver fights his way through the train, but can't get to the evil CEO because he is too far from the car. The driver returns to his car, and as the evil CEO disconnects the train cars, the driver jumps the car into the train car and subdues the evil CEO, straps the bracelet to his wrist, sends the car off the train, blowing up the evil CEO. Awesome. This is the only issue I had with this, is he, like, ties him to the car. To the wheel. And then the car starts to go out, and then he immediately falls off the car. And I'm like, okay, well, why'd you do that then? Isn't the point that you want him to be separate from the car? Yeah, so why tie... Yeah, and right. then it seems like the movie goes, oh, right, and then, like, unties him real quick. But I think the idea is that Statham is basically like, oh, you you have to be in the same predicament that I was in. Now right. you this car is attached to you all of a sudden. When the Ukrainian Environmental Agency minister hears his daughter is safe, he tears up the contracts and the cargo ship of toxic chemicals is raided. Later, the driver, the French cop, and the young Russian women all go fishing. Since we've been talking about Taken 2 and Luc Besson's, uh, uh, you know, connection with Taken, these movies end the same way where there's always like, oh, it's just a bright, really happy moment. Yeah, Like, at the you end. know, things always kind of work out, like... Well, that's the European way, Scott. It's the same way with Taken. Like they're all, they're always like eating ice cream at the end of the fucking yeah, movie. Because like, in Europe, no matter how bad things are, there's always time to you know like eat a tart. Yeah, you know, it's, there's always time to you know eat a tart. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the people of Europe have a more positive view on the world, even when facing imminent danger, than we as Americans do. These yeah. are the people that survived World War One and Two. Keep calm and carry on. Seriously, right? yeah. I mean, I think they stiff have, upper lip. They have a different way of looking at the world, whether it be naive or not. I get why these movies have a tendency to go in that direction. Yeah. All right, so those are the plots, my friend. That's them. I think it's best that we move on to what we like to call Vinformation. Billy? Vinformation! Right off the bat, Scott. The Transporter, Transporter 2, and Transporter 3 were written by trilogy superstars. Robert Mark Kamen, one of the writers of the three films, was also the writer for The Karate Kid and for Taken which we've profiled in our podcast. Right. All right, so he's a trilogy superstar. And Luc Besson. Luc Besson. All right, he was one of the screenwriters for Taken. I guess he partnered up with Robert Mark Kamen for that film, and right. he himself is also a trilogy superstar. So we've got some hardcore trilogy guys putting together these films. Yeah. And look, when we talk about Luc Besson, it's very much in this European style, 
in this sure. European chase style. Yeah. You know, the classic streets of Europe, these tiny little alleyways, these cobblestone alleyways where, yeah. you know, cars don't have many opportunities to escape. So you really have to use ingenuity, right? Yeah. Um, Some the cities with history. Classic architecture. We see the European cities of old. So right. it's very much its own feel. I, I think of Ronan with De Niro. And I mean, for Christ's sake, I was thinking of National Lampoon's European Vacation. I mean, it's the same idea. Jason Statham starring in a remake of Vacation. I would love to see I've that. I've got to get to Woolly World. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're closed for two weeks to clean and repair America's favorite family fun park. What do you mean the park's closed? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Transporter was actually inspired by an internet series called The Hire, which was about a similar, you know, driver starring Clive Owen, and but was really just like a BMW, a series of short films for the BMW company it was promotional oh films. yes i remember these yep so that's what it was inspired by wow okay the movie was a modest success the first movie it uh it was made for 20 million it made 25 million in the united states and 45 million dollars worldwide so it was a modest success nothing crazy and like all of these films it received mixed reviews it seems even to this day and this happened in the 80s and the 90s as well reviewers don't seem to comprehend the point of action movies. They want to appraise them with respect to what real movies are trying to accomplish, and they don't realize that this is just escapism. Eh, well, you know, the only thing I would say is that, you know, if you're not pushing for these movies to be better, you know, what's the point of making them sort of thing? Where it's like, if if you just praised every action movie, even if it was dumb as fuck, but it had great action, they're, they're going to get worse. Because it, it seems like you're lowering the bar. We're saying that the bar only needs to hit this point, but, and it but, doesn't need... No but, one's expecting these movies Scott, to be you're good. But, you're not trying... You don't need to change the plot, and you don't need to change the characters. You're changing the action. So the action of the 80s was gun action. So Stallone would use a machine gun and mow down a bunch of people. Right. In Commando, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger would chop off an arm. In this yeah. movie, the guy's using complex martial arts skills, and so the action has to change. Right. I think that's the evolution, really. Find out what you are good at and stick with it. And if you want to be a lead, I say be more of a person that does what comes naturally. Don't try to be a Shakespearean actor when you speak like me. This movie engendered some comparisons to Vin Diesel. You know, Jason Statham was doing, like, karate his whole life. Yeah, like, oh yeah. He's, he's a martial artist. Right. You know? Whereas Vin Diesel, I'm like, he's just a tough-looking guy. And there's a difference between an Englishman fighting versus an American fighting. Yeah. There just is. Yeah. Okay, Englishmen are the t are tough motherfuckers. Not like the upper crust British, but you know, like your your Bob Hoskins uh right. The like down and Cockney, dirty northern right. like, you know. What I'm looking for is someone who can contribute to what England has given to the world. Culture, sophistication, genius. A little bit more than an hot dog. Know what I mean? The director was Louis uh, Lettieri, and he was also the director um, of The Hulk ah. in the Marvel Universe. Oh, the one with uh, Ed Edward Norton. Yeah. Ah. Another great movie, in my yeah. opinion. One, uh, Better than the other one, which was directed by fucking Ang Lee, oh, who's no an Oscar about winner. Hulk smash! So then we get to The Transporter 2. Again, it received mixed reviews. This movie did better. All of these movies you know, made more money as time went on. I think people appreciated the transporter films as time went on. This one was made for 32, did 43 in this country and made $85 million worldwide. The only little minor thing I have about this movie is that the director 
of this film, Lettieri, because he directed the first two films. Right. He suggested that this was the first gay action hero yeah. in history. Uh-huh. Because in that one scene in the second movie, the, the, the wife tries to seduce him. And he kind of rebuffs her, and he says, it's because of who I am. Right. I think most people, when watching the scene, would think that he says that not because he's gay, but because he's professional, and he doesn't mix business with pleasure. Right. I think right. that's pretty obvious. Yeah. I watched these first two movies before reading that, and I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I was like, but how? That doesn't make sense. But then when you watch these movies and you think about it, there's a ton of examples how they're like subtly hinting at that he's probably gay. Yeah, but he fucked the woman in the first movie. Yeah, but he was hesitant to do that. But he fucked the woman in the third movie. He was hesitant to do that too. But I don't know. A gay guy doesn't doesn't. Oh, have gay sex guys with... fuck women. Uh, maybe they do. They do. Just because you're gay doesn't mean you can't find a woman attractive. I think more than anything else, maybe just like just because I'm straight doesn't mean I can't find a man attractive. Oh. I don't, I, I don't have to have sex with him, but I, I can think he's an attractive guy. Scott, you're saying too much. What I'm trying to say like is... Like, Vin, I think you're an attractive guy. I'm not going to just... I'm not going to disagree with you. I know I'm an attractive guy, but what I'm saying is, more than anything <laughs> He says else, as he looks into a mirror. <laughs> I think that Statham in these films is more asexual than anything else. The point of his character is not his sexuality so much as the task that he has to complete. Right. To the point where fucking this guy, this, this guy Lettieri, he backtracked right. after the third movie came out when, you know, Statham fucked the girl and stayed with her and it kind of seemed like they had an enduring relationship after the movie. You know, he watched that and then he rewatched the first two movies that he directed and he said, nah, maybe he's not so gay. Like, but even in the third movie, when he's like saying he doesn't want to, she's like, oh, I get it. You're gay. And I, I, I don't know if that is like, no, that I feel like that supposed was supposed to be like a gag on the fact that exactly. I think that was, a, that was a direct commentary on the fact that it was suggested in the second movie that he was gay. And she's like, oh, you're a gay. And he's like, I'm not gay. Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm just I'm just not interested. I in have you. morals. You well, know? I will say uh, in my detailed notes for these, I do have some instances or scenes or moments that I think may uh, strengthen the gay argument. Well, maybe you can sell it to me. We'll see. Well, as I go along, I'll, I'll point them out. You're the gay. Nope, I am not the gay. Transporter 3, Scott. It was directed by a different director. Olivier Megaton. Um, he was the director for Taken 2 and 3. So he's a trilogy superstar. Ah. An interesting thing about this film is that Luc Besson spotted the, the female lead, uh, Natalia uh, Rudakova, just on the street in New York. She was going into her job at a hair salon. Just, you know, made her the lead of this movie. Not an actress. Wow. She's appeared in nothing else. Yeah. Just made her the lead of the movie. Well, she's not very good. But she's not as horrible as professional actors that I've seen. Now, so is she American or is she Russian? Her last name makes you think that she's Russian. Right. But it does seem like her accent is Sucks. wonky in a lot of places. Yeah. So I don't know. This movie uh, got mixed reviews. Some people saying that the camera work was better. It was more focused with a different director and wasn't so shaky. Other people saying that it was as equally confusing with respect to point of view and that kind of thing. Right. Reviewers also said that it was, you know, they noted the fact that there was more driving in this movie than hand-to-hand -hand combat, which is definitely noticeable. Yeah. Okay. It was by far the most successful financially. At this point, people had bought into the Transporter trilogy. You know, we're looking at a $40 million uh, budget, 31 million made in the United States, but 77 million made globally. So it was a hundred million dollar movie. Wow. Be aware, though, that there are other iterations of the Transporter universe. You have a TV series that existed from 2012 to 2014. Did you see any of that, Scott? No. 
Okay. And there was a reboot in 2015 starring Ed Screen, who was the bad guy from Deadpool. He played the character of Ajax. Hey, is Ajax your actual name? Because it sounds suspiciously made up. What is it really? Kevin? Bruce? Scott? Mitch? The Rickster? Is it Basil Fawlty? No joke away. One thing that never survives this place is a sense of humor. There are only two actors, Scotty, that appeared in all three of these films. Obviously, the first one is Jason Statham. Yes. Okay. He actually grew up with Vinnie Jones in the UK. Well, they're both in, uh, I believe, both of their first movie is Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Exactly right. They're both in the British version of The Longest Yard, The Mean Machine, where it's them playing soccer in prison. Jason Statham was also in movies like Snatch, The Italian Job Remake, Crank, The Bank Job, when they remade the Death Race movie. Yes. Right? Oh, I fucking love that remake. He has a cameo as the character of Frank in um, Collateral with Tom Cruise. He hands off Tom Cruise uh, a briefcase, and that's supposed to be the same character. Supposed to be the transporter? Yeah. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine, mate. Don't worry about it. Enjoy your life. And of course, he's a trilogy superstar because he appears in all of the Expendable movies, which to this point, there's, you know, it's a trilogy. There may be a fourth one down the road, but it's still on our list. It's a trilogy. And he's, of all the Expendables, the most recent Expendable, meaning he's the action star that is the most current of that group of badasses. Right. He was also a voice in Nomeo and Juliet, which I know you hated yes. when we discussed um, James McAvoy's involvement. We did the Unbreakable trilogy. Yes, he's the voice of Tybalt. <laughs> you wouldn't attack an unarmed gnome, would you? No. Tybalt can't be with us anymore. He was in some latter uh, Fast and Furious films, I think, obviously capitalizing on his driving from this trilogy. That's right. They did the spinoff one with him and uh, The Rock. The Rock. Think, right? Uh, Hobbs and... Uh, Dick Ball. Something whatever. and Hobbs. And, Calvin uh, and Hobbs. There right. you go. I, I, Wait. Close enough. No, I'm not working with this guy. I've been there, done that. Hey, the minute he gets involved, you can kiss goodbye to any finesse because She-Hulk here only knows how to smash. So, motherfucker is no joke. Jason Statham, when it comes to action films, is, you know, right at the top of the list nowadays. Yeah. And the only other character that was in all three films was um, the guy that played Tarconi, his, uh, his French uh, inspector friend. It was played by an uh, actor named Francois Ber Berliand. If you look at his filmography, it's just a bunch of French films that we, we don't know of or have yeah. seen. But when they did the French version of The Office, he played the Michael Scott character. He played the wow. David Brent character, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Let's give an example of that right now. Are you speaking to me? Are you speaking to me? You're speaking to me? Uh, it's you speaking to me? Al Pacino. De Niro, no? All right, Scotty. Are you ready to break down these films, their little foibles and funny moments? The Transporter. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind transporting something for me. No questions asked. Why not? In this first chase where he's he's driving these bank robbers around, right? There's a point where like the cops kind of have him cornered. He's like revving the car up and he's sitting, he's like spinning in a circle, and the cops are just standing there with their guns at him. Like, 
Shoot the tires. <laughs> Shoot his fucking tires, and then it's over. And then you've got him. Which I guess is, you know, that's a comment on French police. That's an example, and we see an example of it in each of the three films, of one crazy stunt that could never exist in reality. So in that chase, he jumps his car onto the back of a car carrier that yeah. lands perfectly, and there he just keeps driving along. We're completely ignoring the, the laws of momentum and physics for that to happen. Right. You know? Yeah. So, the, again, there's one of those in... Flying in the face of the laws of man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, there's one of those in every single movie. Yeah. And I get I appreciate that. But that first, you know, scene is great because, uh, you know, he's laying down the fucking rules to these bank robbers and, hey, got to kill one of the bank robbers. We knew this was going to happen. Yeah. We knew the bank robber is going to kill one of the guys and push him out of the car. Right. We knew it. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. It begins this trend that we see in all three movies where a gun is placed against Statham's head and he's like unflinching, not scared. And he's like, no, I've just got information to tell you. I'm not scared. Yeah. And just act upon it as you will. Right. And they do. Yeah. So it's really, it's badass. It's a great way to open up this trilogy. I will say though, I mean, he, he, t he tells them like, he's like, no, we can't possibly have a, one more guy in the car. And they're like, why? And they're like, because, you know, it's going to offset uh, how fast we can go and we might need to refuel while we're going. I'm like, but then the chase lasts about mm, 20 minutes. Yeah, well. Right? And you're like, you would have to refuel <laughs> during a 20-minute drive because there's one extra guy in the yeah, car. He's a professional. Really? He's a professional, Scott. Really? <laughs> Three men, 254 kilos. That was the deal. The first fight scene we see. I just think it's kind of funny. I wrote down, knocks a few guys out with a tablecloth. Sometimes the props that he uses are not dangerous props. Like he's he's using a shirt yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and a tablecloth and people are going right down. And you're <laughs> like, well, you know, I mean, it could be a heavy tablecloth yeah. or, you know. <laughs> maybe, he's, maybe he's got some salt shakers in that tablecloth. You don't <laughs> I know. Mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he hits two guys with a tablecloth and they go right the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, good martial arts and everything, but. It's a tablecloth. It's, ta it's a tablecloth. <laughs> yeah. He's just going to, like, come snapping <laughs> towels at people and shit. In the first two films, the guys come at him with a series of axes, and you wonder where they got these axes yeah. from. Why are these good weapons to use? Right. Well, you think about it for about a second, and then the axe fight starts, and you forget all about it. Yeah. Because you're like, what a badass axe fight this you're is. Exactly like, right. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Where did they get like, axes from? Oh, shit, yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> They're fighting with axes. Yeah. And he's really easily countermanding their axe yeah. moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a guard... Why would that be your weapon, an axe? Right. This movie doesn't even show where they got the axe. In the second movie, at least, you're like, okay, they yeah, should have taken like the axe off the wall. they break glass and pulled them Here, out. Here, yeah. they just happened to have axes. Yeah. And my axe. He discovers the girl in the trunk. Yeah. And decides to be nice to her and lets her drink some orangina. Cuts a hole in her mouth tape. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like, weird. But then he lets her go to the bathroom, and he, like, unties her completely, and then puts, like, a very loose rope around her neck, and lets her walk into the forest by himself and then is surprised when he pulls it back and she's not on the other end of it. You're yeah. Like, yeah, because her hands are free. 
you dumbass. Because she's just going to take it off. What did you think was going to happen? It's one thing if like you're holding it taut against her and if she tries to move, she's going to strangle and get choked to death. Maybe if you weren't so icky about women and you know you could just follow her out there. Then we get to the whole ridiculous movement with the girl where she's just annoying and then they have sex for no particular reason and then yeah. she's making him breakfast in the morning. What is happening she's here? She's suddenly in love with him. Yeah. Obviously, English is not her first language. Sure. So she's speaking her lines phonetically, and she can't do it. They sound ridiculous. Yeah. It's not her fault. It seems like Lupasan just casts women that he wants to bang. I get a sense you of know? that. I really do. He's finding people on the street. He's like, you would be good in my next movie. Have you ever wanted to be in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Who answers that question? No. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we meet her father for the first time, and he looks like Liza Minnelli's ex-husband, David Guest. He's had so much plastic surgery, he's got like a burn victim nose, it's barely there. He looks ridiculous. I shit you not, I literally wrote this note. I thought you were going, <laughs> we had very close notes about this. I wrote, her father is of indeterminate sex. <laughs> and then I wrote, Liza Minnelli as an Asian man. Thank you. <laughs> wow, I'm alive! <laughs> This is how I should have been feeling my whole life. This is it. Oh, we have this scene uh, where Wall Street, Matt Schultz, yeah. goes to see the surviving guy from uh, when he attacks the house or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he tells him, like, no, he's alive. He came back and kicked the shit out of us and everything. And then he, he's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. And first of all, he's doing that weird thing where he's touching the guy's lips. Yeah. Like, he's like, he's like, like, he's like wiping his mouth for him. And then, of course, he shoves the fucking gag down his throat and he strangles of him. Of course. Because you know that's coming. Action movie. But then I think it's hilarious because he kills the guy. The heart monitor is going crazy because he just flatlined and you killed him. And he very slowly switches the heart rate monitor to the guy next to him where it's boop, boop. And I'm like, maybe you should have done that before you murdered him? Yeah. No nurse hears that alarm and goes, oh, shit. Oh, it stopped. No, no, no big deal. No, it's fine. It's fine. No, they would still come in and check on of the guy. And, like, and he's dead. He's got a fucking scarf down his throat. Nurses like, don't just go by like. It looks like someone's been touching his lips a lot. <laughs> the action scenes his kicking is just really great he's kicking people from all angles his kicks are phenomenal yeah because he's actually doing the fighting it makes a huge difference for in an sure. action movie when he gets to the to the warehouse and he's fighting them in, with, with the oil slick that whole thing with the oil slick yeah bad ass man yeah. it's cool but at the same time i was like why does every one of these movies have to get him shirtless and then grease him up yeah, he's like, really greasy. like but i mean he uses it to his advantage in the fight so it makes perfect sense right like, he puts those things on his feet so he's not sliding around right. anymore yeah it's over cool. the course of 50 years we've seen a million fights in a million different movies so if you can present to me a fight that's unique in any kind of a way right i buy it man yeah that bus fight scene yeah that, that happens right after the oil right um, he kicks all those guys' asses, and then right at the end, he requests a stop. He <laughs> yeah. presses the button, and I was like, that's kind of weird. Why didn't you just have like a typical like action movie line there? It seems like a perfect place for him to be like, excuse me, lads, this is my stop. This you is know, my like, stop. And yeah. gets off, and instead he presses the button. Then I managed to open up the door, and I kicked him out the door, you know, with my foot, you know, at the next stop. You kept making all the stops? Well, people kept ringing the bell. We see this in all the films. 
Statham has to chase down a thing that he realistically can't ever chase down. So in this case, he's got to chase down the trucks and he's got to use a crop duster. Dude, he's running faster than the plane. Yeah. And somehow commandeers the plane to get to the to the trucks. Yeah. So the the action finale in this film is the is the is the truck fight, which is very much in the vein of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, to the point where he's underneath the truck making moves. He kicks the guy out the, the side of the truck. Like right, it's, right. That's what it's inspired by. There's no doubt about it. Meet me at Omar's. Be ready for me. I'm going after that truck. Oh, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. I do want to say there's there's the part where he's walking around and he sees the storage containers. And he did, pulls out a stethoscope, and he's putting it up to the thing to listen to see if there's people inside. I'm like, it's 400 people in a storage <laughs> container. I think you'd be able to hear it with the naked ear. Maybe just like, knock on the side. Someone will right. knock back. Knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. Suddenly, he's just at the beach. And um, again, he's dispatched all these villains. And well, you got an old Asian man with plastic surgery that's that's got you. Yeah. And she shoots him. And by the way, her dad has the wateriest blood I've ever seen. <laughs> that was a really shitty practical effect You're that right. they used. I'm like, you can see the water separating from the blood. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Oh, I do have one gay example. Please. At one point, I believe he's underwater and he kisses that guy to take his breath and uh, oh he does that in the third movie too yeah you'd rather kiss a guy than die you he's know? getting his breath scott <laughs> this magic moment <laughs> little pervert oh man he's a deep shit when they get the refugees out of the storage container i just think it's funny that they they seem to run out of like blankets so like they wrap half of them up in like yoga mats and whatever's <laughs> available like it's someone like an old newspaper someone help these people which brings us now scott to transporter two yeah i'm looking for a transporter i'm listening I do like uh, they, they kind of set it up because, I mean, the first movie we had, he was helping out at a bank heist, right? Right. He pulled up and picked those guys up. So they obviously are setting us up for that. And then, you know, the alarm goes off and then kids come out. And you're like, what? He's picking up a kid at a school? And I'm like, they're, they're obviously being like, it's different this time. Right. Like, it's almost I enjoyed they're, that. They're spoofing themselves almost a little bit. Right. When he's home, he orders a pizza. Do you remember this part? Yes, of course I remember it this part. It is the worst pizza order I've ever fucking I've ever heard. heard. The pizza is no cheese, extra olives, and extra anchovies. Yeah. Is there is there anything worse than that? It's 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 a maddening fucking part of the movie because first of all, it's barely the guy on the phone should be like ew gross <laughs> yeah. and be like well, you want us to take the cheese off the pizza like what couldn't be a worse one of her pizza yeah it's I a mean, river of sauce filled with fish and olives you, and that's what you that's want that's not even pizza why that's would not you pizza. want that yeah <laughs> and also he has just called them to find out where the hell his pizza is yeah. because he ordered it a while ago and he's literally repeating the order to him and telling him how much it's going to cost. I'm like, shouldn't you have done this part already? I mean, really? Or did just Statham just call pizza places he's never called before and go, where's my pizza? Oh, and could you burn it? 
<laughs> Burn it real good. And you know what? On your way, throw it on the floor. Yeah. Could the driver sit on it the entire drive? I mean, does that look like the best pizza? Trust me, I can tell you, it doesn't taste good. The whole doctor's office is salt. You know, he tells the kid, he's like, you'll be fine. And they get there and it's like, Maybe you won't be fine. Yeah, I think I lied to you. You're no not going to be fine. No one that's familiar to you is here, and yeah. everyone's acting shady. Yeah, you've got that Russian doctor who's like, yeah, sure, come in. We help you out and give you a shot. And you're like, what is going on? Shots are good. <laughs> yeah. Come inside. I am, um, let me look at name tag. Doctor. <laughs> also, it's like, it's funny because you're like, well, sure. I mean, he's the transporter. He's not going to be fooled by this. But would anybody? <laughs> Like, wouldn't, like, if the mother had brought him, she'd be like, something's not right. Unfortunately, your doctor was called away on uh, emergency. And nurse said he had the flu. That was the emergency. He came down with flu very quickly. The assassin woman that comes in. Very hot. She's got the dual Uzis going on. She's like a femme fatale in the vein of, like, the, the Aeon Flux character from, like, MTV's Liquid sure. Television. That long, lithe woman with yeah. the two guns and just kind of badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I thought of when I saw her. And she's, her. like, in lingerie constantly. Constantly. And high heels. Ne needlessly. Yeah. I, I dig the smoking hot psycho character. Yeah, listen. You know? I mean, that, and that's truly I, a femme I've fatale. clearly got a type. <laughs> <laughs> We get the, I believe it's when he's driving with her after, you know, he's been forced to drive away with yeah. her and the kid. And they're like flying off of buildings into that construction site. Oh, and she, like, they jump from building to building. Yeah. And that's reminiscent of the first film when he jumps his car onto the car carrier, something that could never really happen. Right. They have one of those in all three movies. Particularly, the special effects look awful yeah. in that moment. They look really bad. And then it's immediately followed by one of the worst things I've ever seen. She's like, looks like we lost him. He's like, think again. And then like the helicopter comes and she literally like shoots it once and it explodes, explodes. into a fireball. And she's like, yeah, thought about it. And now I'm done. Like, I, was I like, mean, honestly, I, Scott, I think I, I, I bent over to take a note on the on the jump through to the building. I looked up and I was like, the helicopter exploded like it was that <laughs> right. fast. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculously fast. Get to the chopper! And then we get Keith David in this movie trilogy superstar of course we've talked about keith david in the past when we did the um missing in action trilogy he was mm. in missing in action but he's a big time trilogy superstar platoon barbershop where he plays lester wallace the antagonist uh. he's also in the chronicles of riddick and of course he's also in the thing ah that's right so yeah, that, yeah. i mean he's he's a top-notch trilogy superstar just keep your pick a hard and your powder dry and the worm will turn you got the French cop. I got it right here. Right and at this point. he's hanging out at his house, making Madeleines. Yeah. Which, of course, they made in the first movie. And then he, the police show up, and they ask him who he is, and he's like, I'm the cook. He infiltrates an entire police station where he has no business being and is somehow able to, you know, access their computers in one second and get information we sh he shouldn't be able to get. If you're ever trying to break out of a police station, just make them creme brulee. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> He's like, haven't you ever had someone cook for you before? And like, the Hot damn, he's going to make us food. This guy's good. <laughs> I, I have no more questions for you in this interrogation. <laughs> it's really unclear to me, Scott, how he was able to get the villain's name and location because he calls the French guy in the cop station and the French guy's like, I have nothing. Oh, here it is. 
Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I didn't click next on, on the page. Yeah, Look. exactly. <laughs> oh, and we get around this scene, uh, another action movie characteristic. Do you happen to notice when the guy was out of bullets, he throws his gun at Jason Statham? Yeah, yeah come yeah. on. Classic. I mean, that's classic. To the point where we saw it in the office, for God's sake. Threat level midnight when right. Jim throws his gun at <laughs> Michael Scott. Threat level midnight makes all the girlies feel all right. From Madonna to Madeline Albright. Threat level midnight. It's a threat, a level, a level, level threat. He's the greatest hockey star I've ever seen yet. And of course, then you get the jet ski scene where he's pursuing on the jet ski so we get another mode of conveyance in this film right and we get a new one kind of in every film right yeah so in the first one it's buses this time it's jet skis and in the third one it's going to be a train right you know we get different ways to travel which to i think, transport if right you will. i will and i think it i think that's to to the movie's credit i don't want to harp on this gay thing you uh, keep harping on too it. much more all right but especially because this is the second one where the director specifically said he put in little hints when they interrogate the French cop, they ask him, like, you know, like, how do you know him? And he's like, well, we have a relationship. And, like, it's just Come the on, way he Scott. says it is very, I mean, he's visiting him for a weekend. It seems like, mm, I think it's a friendship. They it, could just be friends. Sure. Um, but I will say, I'll, I'll put another point here. When he is trying to get the antidote and he's jumping around and he slides and he grabs that that antidote just before it gets crushed by the car, as he stands up, a rainbow appears. Come on, Scott. I'm just saying, when you're looking for it, it's there. Whoa, that's a full rainbow. Double rainbow. Oh, my God. It's a double rainbow all the way. And you've got a great fight with the water hose. I yes. love how he yes. kicks ass with the hose, and then in running the water, it changes the effect of what the hose does. So it right. constricts in a different way kind and of like fucks traps people them up. all where they are. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Great action fighting there. Yeah, I loved him just throwing up the head of it and like kicking it into kicking guys it into and people, shit. And then yeah. he wraps it around other people, and when the water courses through it, it suffocates them yeah, really yeah. slick. Yeah. And then we get, and again, this is the final hideout. We get to the fight with the girl at the end. The uh, You mean the four-second fight with the, the girl? The force, you're like, all oh, right, finally, he's going to fucking have a battle with this, this he, tall he, bitch. He essentially accidentally kills her. Because, like, he, like, kicks her, and then, he like, the camera doesn't follow her, and he's kind of turned away. And when he turns around, it's kind of like, oh. Oh, well, I guess I killed her. Why is there a spiked wall in the decor of the house? You know what? I, I read it as art of some sort. It I mean, seems too easy to beat her. Like, she seems too formidable a character and too strong through the course of the movie that three kicks and this fight is over. And yeah. it's like, oh, I accidentally impaled her on some spikes. But ultimately, the ending is cool. Okay, we already talked about the plane crash being unrealistic, but their fight within the plane with the zero gravity as it's going down. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I will say, though, uh, we have some wonky fucking lines leading up to this fight where he first walks into the plane and Jason Statham's like, I regret to inform you, your flight's been canceled. And the guy pulls out a gun and goes, I regret to inform you that you have been canceled. What? What are you talking about? And then <laughs> directly after that, he's like, sit down. Let's get to know each other. And he sits down like they're going to have a conversation. He's like, I think I know everything I need to know. And immediately starts fighting. I'm like, why did you sit down? From the mightiest pharaoh to the lowliest peasant, who doesn't enjoy a good sit? 
He goes to the hospital and he's watching the family and they're playing that game they were playing earlier where, you know, you basically you give, it's like a riddle. You give clues yeah. and you got to guess the thing, which by the way, everybody sucks at this game. Of course. No one is good at the it. The kid can't come up with any of these The kid answers. is brutal and he's like, let's play the game again. And we're like, why? You suck at it. But um, the kid is giving the clues and the parents are, a snake? A worm? Could it be this? And he's in the little tiny fucking hospital window, just full face a potato. Say potato, asshole. Yeah, like it's potato. <laughs> say potato. Parents are getting a little bit closer. The mom's like a turnip. Uh, no, yeah. say potato. And then like <laughs> cut back to the room, and they're all looking at him like, "We heard you." <laughs> it's just <laughs> you're two feet away from us through one pane of glass. It's just a ridiculous. It's a ridiculous riddle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like a child's riddle. And like, are we supposed to think Jason Statham is cool because yeah. he just cracked this child's Matthew riddle? Matthew Modine, weren't you a real genius in the movie Real Genius? <laughs> How do you not know any of this? <laughs> yeah. You're making a fool of yourself, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can I help you? Potato man. Where the hell have you been? And so the last note I have. So earlier, there he hijacks that Rastafarian guy's cab. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And at the end of all that, he gets to... Uh, take that like yellow Lamborghini or whatever. And you see him sitting in the car, just like, Oh, it's okay, baby. I'm going to take care of you. Bumbleclot or whatever. Yeah. Like you got a yellow Lamborghini. Now you turned it into a cab. cab? Just make Sell it your it own car and have money. And then don't drive a cab anymore. <laughs> Scott, that leads us to transporter three. My boss said you're the man for the job. Well, unavailable. You have 10 seconds to change your mind. I'll give you five seconds to remove your hand. Scott, this is yet another trilogy that involves toxic waste. It's a, it's unbelievable how many trilogies we've dealt with that involve toxic waste in some respect, whether it be RoboCop, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. uh, uh, the Karate Kid. What? Don't bullshit me. What do you mean you can't dump it in Borneo? Who in Borneo knows what chloride sludge is? Just do it. Do it. Call me when it's dumped. I tell you what, though, my, perhaps my most favorite fight in any of the films was the piano bar fight in the beginning of this one. Because I love the idea that Statham is saying to, to someone that's ready to fight him, like, are, are you sure you want to do this? It's almost like Jack Reacher. If you're yeah. not going to win, are you sure you want to do this? And then he uses the piano. You know he's going to. So he's slamming people into the piano. You yeah, get the piano yeah, yeah, sound yeah. effect. That moment you're talking about also reminds me of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, within the elevator. And he's like, definitely. Before we start, does are anybody you... want to get out? Yeah. <laughs> like... I think at the time when we talked about Winter Soldier, I mentioned Jack Reacher, too. The idea yeah. that you're warning the people around you. Like, are you sure you want to bring this upon yourself? I'm just going to say that anytime I get into an argument, just so people are like, he must be a badass. Yeah, man. I'm ready to do it, too. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm like, you sure you want to do this? Like, yeah, I'm sure I want to do this. Like, all right, but not in my face, okay? Like <laughs> Remember, you wanted this. Another um, action characteristic that they use in this movie, I, I mean, I noticed it in the other two movies too. Ten guys are fighting him. They take turns attacking him. No one ever thinks yeah. that maybe they can neutralize him by all attacking at once. Instead, yeah. they kind of take turns approaching him, giving him the opportunity to dispatch them one after another. Right. And that is like action movie 101. Right, yeah. Like all of you just at attack him at once. But the fight choreography said, I should wait. Yeah, like right, I should wait a second and... I should be stunned by the fact that he put down three of my friends. Now I'm going to get involved. Yeah. Get involved immediately. And now I've been hit with a tablecloth. Yeah. And now <laughs> I've been hit with a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Now Ow. Yeah. That button hit me right in the eye. Why am I approaching this guy with a sword instead of a gun? What am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. 
There's a line when they're in the car uh, when he's driving the the Russian girl. And, you know, he's trying to get her to talk and she's like refusing to talk to him and say anything to him. At one point, she's like, you think I'm stupid? He's like, I never said you were stupid. In my head, of course, I finished the line with, I mean, I thought it, but I never said it. And everyone <laughs> like, thinks you're stupid. Two thirds <laughs> of the movie are doing nothing but acting stupid. Yeah. <laughs> then suddenly you're just acting like an asshole. Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> Stop. Just don't do anything. Also in the car at one point, he's talking about like getting food or something. He's like, he's like yeah, maybe have some sausage. And she's like, I don't like sausage. And that's weird. Like, well, this is going to be a really boring drive for me. <laughs> let me tell you. Meanwhile, if I want the best meal possible, I'm sorry. I'm not going to the Ukraine for it. Dessert? Your appetizer? Your drink? What, what, yeah. what, don't give me the whole meal. What are we talking about <laughs> yeah. here? What kind of fish do you have here? What kind of drink? Is the drink chilled? Will you sh- shut up already? Hope you like borscht. I, really, I don't <laughs> like any of it. I know wonderful place just up coast from here where they make fish stew. Incredible. They use tomatoes and onions, a little amount of wild lavender. What kind of wine? Pink, from south. Chilled. Of course chilled. I'm for dessert. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! And meanwhile, the bad guy, I couldn't believe it, the bad guy years before uses a Donald Trump reference. Yeah. He says, in the words of a great American Donald Trump, you're, you're fired. fired. Yeah. What? It was like, ugh, ew. Hey, look, you claim to be like me. The difference is I work hard. You've been lazy. You've been nothing but trouble. You're fired. I must say, though, that, again, the gimmick where he has to stay close to the car, you get that bike scene where he's running and then he grabs the bike. Motherfucker is, like, grinding rails and shit. He's jumping the bike onto stuff. Yeah. He can ride. He can drive yeah. anything. He's a BMXer. This I guy. mean, seriously, <laughs> it was it, that was an awesome scene. You have the Stooges playing in the background. That's an awesome scene. Yeah, yeah. And the people in the factory where he's just driving through, are like, oh my god, a guy's coming through with a bike. Yeah, he's just going through like Ferris Bueller. Like, yeah. Well, what's for dinner? Smells great. <laughs> Gotta go. It is just like Ferris Bueller. <laughs> no, don't get up. Hey, it smells delicious. Dinner's ready. What? So in every one of these movies, he loses his shirt in yeah. some way or another. This is the most aggressive one, though. Well, because in this one, he just rips it off. Yeah. Like, he's like, let's fucking do this, and, like, rips his shirt I mean, off. one piece after another, he's like, jacket, fine, don't need it. Shirt, fine, I'll use yeah. it as a weapon. Every possible clothing. But she comes up to him, she's like, you fight good, but you tie bad, and, like, fixes his tie and, like, tightens it. And it's weird to be like... Oh, I'll keep it loose so I can use it as a weapon. <laughs> exactly. It can come off at any second. I mean, I'm no expert in ties, but it looked pretty good to me. Yeah, it looked like, fine. Fuck you, I tie a tie very fucking well. I wear a tie every fucking day. <laughs> How often do you wear a fucking tie? <laughs> what do you know, bitch? I bet you got a lot of nice ties. What do you mean? You want to tie me up with some of your ties? Oh, he has that fight um, where he fights the big guy. Right after it's done, he throws a rose. Where did that come from? Yeah, where did that rose come from? And why are you so like, like, oh, sorry about that. Like to that guy, I'm like, you know how many other guys you've killed and maimed and done all this stuff to? You just dropped the the fucking, like a car onto two guys crushing them to death. Right. This guy gets a rose? Right. Like, where did that rose come from? Why are there roses in this garage? There's a rose in this garage. Got to use it for something. Yeah, or you could just leave it where it was and then leave. In your memory, my friend. (laughs) 
You're a good opponent. Pour one out for my homies. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> They get onto that bridge, yeah. okay, and this is the big showdown, and uh, you know he's going to drive that car off the bridge. Right. I mean, you know he's going to. How many times does the villain have to say, kill him? And it's never successful. Never. Like, it's, in every single movie, they're like, oh, I'll just take care of him. Yeah. Well, if it was that easy, he'd be dead by now. No right. one can just take care of him. Well, because they always say kill him, and then they turn their back to the situation. Like, I'm not even going to look to make sure yeah. that you killed him. Just fire. And then you're shocked. The car. You're like, how is he not dead? Like, did you ever confirm? Make that he an was effort, dead? man. Like, make an effort. But I, thought, I was waiting for like when he drove off the bridge. It looked so accidental <laughs> to me. Like, <laughs> like, oh shit! I meant to put it in reverse. Oh fuck. Um, the train stuff, it's awesome. It's unrealistic and nonsensical, but it's really awesome. Yeah. Again, that's your third crazy stunt that couldn't possibly exist. You know, he lands a car onto the top of a train and then later drives it into a train. Well, th but that's the thing about him. He lands the car on the train, right? And I, I get, like, he has to have the car with him because otherwise he'll die. Awesome right? concept. But he lands it on the train and then gets off and starts walking down the train. I'm like, what if this train went around a turn <laughs> and the car just went fucking flying off the top? You would just explode and yeah. have no idea. What, you know, you'd be like, uh oh. And I do like the setup that he's like chasing him down the train. He has to stop because he's like, fuck, I'm too far it's from the cool. car. It's You're cool. Like, and I mean, they use it as a kind of interesting complication. Could kill the bad guy. How is he going to kill this bad guy? Like he's got to get right. back in the car, drive it into the train. It's right. clever. I mean, I bought it, and honestly, I felt like the action climax with the bad guy was by far the best of the three movies. Right. This one, it's this whole thing where it's like, now you're the fucking guy that's attached to the car. Yeah. And much as it's unrealistic the way we discussed, right. at least he kind of keeps the concept going, you know? Like, yeah. now it's on you. What you tortured me with through the whole movie is on yeah. you now. Maybe it was a thing of, because I often notice this, we talked about this with some of the superhero movies, particularly The Dark Knight, or yeah. uh, the Batman Begins at the end of the first one when he's like, you know what, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And he like yeah. leaves him on the train to die. Yeah, good point. Sort of thing. Where like, maybe they wanted that kind of separation of like, yeah, he tied him to the car, but then he was able to get off and right. basically he ends up killing with, himself. Uh, with Liam at the monorail, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Right, exactly. right, right. Okay. That kind of like, it's not on him, okay? He didn't murder that guy. He just inadvertently murdered that guy. Yeah, uh, these are PG-13 movies. Though. He doesn't put a bullet to their head. He basically says, listen, you've created this set of circumstances and now you're going to suffer by it as well. Right. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's a clever way of looking at it, sure. Yeah. Let me do this my way so no one gets hurt. Where's the fun in that? Let's save the fun for later. These were the transporter movies. They sure were. Now, when you think about the transporter and you think about Europe, there's only one thing that I think about, Scott. Phil? That's right, Phil. Phil, our... Philippe Casal. Philippe Casal. He is, of course, our field correspondent, and I'm really excited as to what he came up with. Hey, folks, Phil here, your field correspondent for the Trilogy Podcast. With the holidays upon us, we thought it would be a good time to give back. So today I'll be transporting a trunk full of turkey to a soup kitchen. The car has been packed for me and I am ready to roll. You know, this year has been tough on a lot of people. And it's the least we can do. What the hell was that? Sounded like it was coming from the trunk. Maybe one of those frozen turkeys rolling around in there. <laughs> turkeys frighten me. Uh, let's just give this a look. And. Ah, what the fuck? What's there alive? They're fucking. 
Oh, poor Phil. Yeah. Poor Phil. All right, Scott, let's uh, give our final verdict on this trilogy. I'll start because I've made you start the last couple of ones, okay? Okay. For me, unbelievably, I'm going to call this a successful trilogy. I'm a sucker for action films growing up in the 80s and enjoying these kinds of films. And honestly, much as I may have had objections to certain plot elements in each of these, I think they satisfied what they were supposed to satisfy. And that's just a rollicking fun experience watching asses get kicked and people getting fucked up. All right. I'm definitely going to call this a successful trilogy. And it was a very, it was difficult for me to rank these because they're very close. They're They're very similar. Yeah. We're looking at three of like the same movie, right? Basically. I think for me, this is going to be a three, two, one. I think that the first one had the best action, but the worst plot. I think the second one had equal action, but um, better plot. But I found myself most intrigued by the plot in this one and the mechanizations regarding the car and a great action climax that I felt like this was the most complete of the three films. So I'm going to go successful three, two, one. Well, I will say uh, I believe they were successful. They came and did what they needed to do, um, which was give us a bunch of uh, really cool action. They also helped, uh, you know. Make Jason Statham an action star, which yeah. I think is a good thing. Uh, he's enjoyable. He's obviously got the skill. Set the tone for his career. For sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I will call them successful. I'm going to differ a little bit on the order, and I think I'm going to go with, and it was pretty close, but I'm going to go with two, three, one. Okay, okay. And, I mean, for two, two for me is like it's the right level of the ridiculous with taking itself seriously enough. I liked the characters of the second one. The The plot of it was just so nonsense to me that I was yeah. like... <sighs> it could go any order as far as I'm concerned. Really? The key is that we both appreciated these and called them successful, yeah. right? So, I mean, if we had Phil here and he called it a one, two, three, we'd be like, okay. Fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't argue. <laughs> right, yeah. There's times when I wanna, I'm want i ready to fight about the order with you about certain things, but this one, whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. They're all kind of the same. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Trilogy Podcast. My name is Vin. And I'm Scott. And this is what we do, folks. We're bringing you trilogy after trilogy until we get to the end and there are no more trilogies left. So thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Trilogy Podcast, where I try and bring you just joke by joke, scene by scene, point by point, exactly what we talk about in the trilogy day to day. So please follow us on Instagram. And uh, I do the Twitter. Uh, There we'll do some uh, fun polls about our current episode. Uh, We ask some uh, fun questions. We want your opinion. So get on there and give us your take on things. All right, Scott. So I'm going to clamp this bracelet on your wrist, and uh, we're going to call it a night, right? All right. You just can't get any further from this apartment than you are. You're saying I can't transport myself? You can't. I need you to stay right here right now for our next episode. That's a shame because I'd really like to transport myself. You can't transport anywhere. To somewhere where I can eat a potato. (laughs) Have a good night, ladies and gentlemen. Well, come on!